Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-DVD.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Rue Morgue Magazine. Subscribe to Rue Morgue for award-winning insight into the world and culture of horror, from books, movies, and comics to music, collectibles, and classics. Featuring the latest film, book, comic book, music, game, toy releases, and more delivered to your door. Guillermo del Toro called it the best damn magazine in the genre. Subscribe to Rue Morgue, the horror magazine of the 21st century, by visiting www.rue-morgue.com. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Damien Leone is a household name among horror fans and the director of one of the most talked about horror movies of recent times, Terrifier. Terrifier's star, Art the Clown, is on the fast track to slasher stardom and is without a doubt the most iconic movie slasher in decades. All you have to do is observe the rampant amount of fan art and the alarming numbers of tattoos of Art the Clown to know that this is a true horror icon. And he's just getting started. The character of Art the Clown has actually been developed by Damien over the course of three films. Having started as a minor character in a short called The Ninth Circle, Art then went on to star in his own short, also called Terrifier, before being adapted into a full-length feature called All Hallows' Eve, which compiled the two previous shorts into a VHS-style anthology, bookended with another wraparound story, also starring Art the Clown. The many iterations of Art the Clown have allowed the character to be polished and refined to the point where it seems we horror fans just might have gotten the next great slasher franchise we've all been waiting for. I chatted with Damien pretty extensively about the long-awaited Terrifier 2 and what it holds in store for us. So here for your listening pleasure is Damien Leone. You haven't wrapped yet on Terrifier 2, right? Not yet. We have... um approximately five to six days left okay got it so you're getting really close we're very close i mean we're we're pretty much there that's great man really really great so how's the experience been so far it seems like you guys have been shooting for a while right we've been shooting forever we've been shooting since (laughs) the the, uh couple of days before halloween oh wow yeah yeah whoa yeah i mean we've been you know we do we do chunks like we do maybe like four to five days at a time. And then uh, a lot of times I have to break because I'm doing the majority. I'm pretty much doing all the special effects with me and my producer, Phil. Uh, and it's a really heavy burden. So there's a lot of times we got to just stop and regroup and start building stuff and prepping for the next few days. So that's one of the reasons why it's taken taken so long. Got it. But you still yeah. have a hand in all the special effects and you're building everything yourself, which it's cool. It's got to be stressful, but I mean, it's very, very stressful, but you know, you make sure you do it right. You know, I know what the, 
I know what the people are, uh, the fans are hoping for and what they're expecting. So we're trying to trying to raise the bar a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we tried. I mean, we tried to, uh, I really tried to hire a, a crew this time and we were, we were very close. And at the last second, like literally two weeks before we started filming, um, the crew pulled out because they weren't, uh, they weren't happy with the, uh, the amount of money and the amount of work. Oh uh, man. So, yeah. So it was just a scramble for me to really just hit the ground running and be like, all right, we got to do this. So at the last minute you had to figure out that you, you found out that you had to build everything yourself. Yeah. I, I Not was, only build I, it, but execute it on set and everything. Oh yeah. 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 And I was really hoping this time that I could, uh, I could at least hire a crew to apply the art, the clown prosthetic this time, because that is just, I mean, that takes, that takes an extra three hours every morning before I have to go into a 14 plus hour day of shooting. So it's just, it's grueling, and uh, and especially in this one, Dave's already been who plays Art David Thorne has already been on for about thirty days. You know that's that's a that's a lot just for his character. So that's a lot of application time in the, in the makeup chair just for his prosthetic, not counting the uh, the effects. You know the murder scenes and all the kill scenes and all that stuff. Right, right. It's a lot, but yeah, I mean, I was willing to do. I was coming in doing uh, ready to do half of the effects, and I was hiring a crew to do the other half because there's so many. But yeah, so I had to basically take it take it all on me and uh, my buddy Phil. So thank oh wow, God. so Phil Phil's also doing the effects as well, or was helping uh, with the effects. I mean, he helps me the whole. He loves learning how to do it, and he just loves working. So if there's ever any downtime, he just loves to be there. And he let me, him and his wife Lisa, they they let me turn his basement basically into our uh, our makeup studio. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. They're, they're the best. They're so uh, supportive. That's so cool. And that's Phil Falcone, your producer yeah, since day yeah. one. Day one. Yep. Still uh, there. That's every, awesome, man. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. Cooking, yeah, cooking on set for the crew. Like, it's insane. Wow. Yeah, I've been seeing the photos of you guys on set. You just constantly look like you're having a blast, the two of you. We, we, are, we are having fun. I mean, it's, it's tough, but we, we're surrounded by such an amazing group of people who have really stuck it out this far because they're just passionate and great people. They love working on it. So mm-hmm. we're, we're really lucky. Really lucky. That's great, man. And you guys are filming in New York, right? Yep. New York, New Jersey, primarily in um, County Joe Harry, New York, mm-hmm. like an hour and a half past Albany. Yeah. Uh, because Phil, uh, Phil had bought a, uh, some property up there. He bought a, a big barn and that's where we built a lot of our sets. There's a lot of sets in this one. Nice. So, uh, that's, that's been cool. Unfortunately, it's been freezing, freezing yeah. in there. And there's no, we tried so hard to get heat in there. There's like a giant wood burning furnace and all these kind of things. And, uh, eventually we had to just start bringing, you know, propane heaters into the rooms and doing it the old fashioned way. Cause nothing's <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> nothing's easy. Is it when it comes to filmmaking? Uh, yeah. This has been, without a doubt, the hardest, hardest experience of my life as a, as a filmmaker, but without a doubt. Without oh, a doubt. yeah. More yeah. so than, than Terrifier 1. At times, times 100. <laughs> like, wow. no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. It's been so insane. People might think that since you have a higher budget for this one, that things might be a little easier, but obviously the scope is a little bit bigger. You're, you're, you're building on the world a little bit more, and with that comes a lot more complications and potential for disaster, it sounds like. Uh, 100%. 100%. And, and that's – I joke around saying uh, this is like the uh, – the apocalypse now of indie horror movies. I mean, obviously not even close, but yeah, because I'm obsessed with that documentary hearts of darkness, but um, it's, it's been, it's been like that. It's been so insane. And there's just been crazy. I mean, there's been like 
since we've been shooting this for like, what is it? Six months now or whatever. I mean, we've had like nine, thank God, no, no serious injuries, but there's been like nine car accidents, like all sorts of crazy happenings on set just because of how long we've been shooting this. Yeah. But, and just building the, building the sets and we have stunts and, you know, like I said, you know, crew, you know, pivotal crew members just pulling out the, the final hour and just all, all kinds of curveballs getting getting thrown at you, Damn. and, and like, like we're really trying to make it so much. It's so much bigger. Like I didn't go a little bit. Like I had to go like way out there. So we we took a lot of a lot of risks with this one. I mean, I can't give a lot of spoilers away, but the story goes in like a radically extreme direction. But we stay we stay true to what people loved about the first one. You know, so hopefully it's. Hopefully it's unlike any slasher you've seen before, but it's it reminds you of the ones you grew up loving at the same time. That's that's my goal. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the beauty of the original Terrifier, I think. It, it felt... It reminded you of that time period and those slashers, but it didn't feel overtly throwbacky, which certain some slashers do. You know, it was that balance of, oh yeah, this feels familiar, but it's different. It's taking the whole thing into a new direction. I try, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I think, like, a, there's a lot of movies where, like you just said, they try and... Um, they try and capture that exploitation vibe, mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite feel genuine. It's almost like a tongue in cheek kind of like, you know, like I, I think if you can genuinely get there because it's true to who you are, I, I think that's when it really, really works. I mean, hopefully I, I can do that. But Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you can tell if somebody's trying to do something for the sake of being campy and it yeah. just comes, it just falls so flat as far as I'm concerned. The big exception being the grindhouse movies with right. Rodriguez right. and, uh, and Tarantino. But, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Well, big inspiration, those those two. Um, but yeah, I mean, because like the original, you know, the old school Grindhouse movies, though, they were they were a lot of times like inadvertently cheesy because of like limitations and, you know, you didn't whatever, yeah. whatever the case. I mean, but that like, that gave it some of the charm. I mean, they weren't really constantly winking at the audience all the time. So. Yeah, that's what that's what I hope to do. Nice. So, have you been documenting the making of Terrifier two, or do you have your own Hearts of Darkness on the way? I think we do. I mean, I started with that in mind going into this. I, I bought a little camera and I was bringing it everywhere and filming everything. And before before you know it, I could not even think about that anymore. I just got so consumed by everything I had to do. But thankfully, everybody on set now just has their phone out and they're just constantly recording. You know, horizontal, thank God. So, and then, you know, good quality. So I'm sure with all of the footage, we can make some pretty amazing documentary behind the scenes. Yeah, that would be cool. There's um, there's there's a documentary about Rob Zombie making Devil's Rejects called 30 Days in Hell. It came with his like a rare box set. And then it, it comes with that. You saw I that? Watch, I watch it repeatedly. It's oh, yeah. One of my favorite things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always watching behind the scenes uh, nice. thing, commentaries and stuff. Yeah. There's a good one for From Dust Till Dawn, too. I've seen that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. That Love one's it. good as well. But yeah, I mean, just you see these movies and they look like they are so, so well done. But you, you, what people don't realize is how difficult it is to actually all the shit that goes wrong, you know, oh. all the time. It's constant. It's kind yeah. of everything. Everything's going to go wrong. Yeah, a common question I'll ask directors is, uh, was there ever like a dark night of the soul where things get so difficult that you actually consider quitting? And it doesn't sound like you ever considered quitting, but was there is there anything that, that was able to help you get through this, just given the difficulty of it all? Wow, yes. Uh, yeah, it's a very... <clears throat> so that happens all the time. It happens all the time on set. There's a moment, and uh, it's happened since... 
since I started doing this uh, as a as a kid and just making really low budget movies and stuff, you always find yourself uh, at a point where inside you say, "Why am I doing this with my life?" Like I'm, you know, because like, it's like you're bringing this stress on yourself. Nobody's forcing you to be a filmmaker, and it's so hard. And then you just realize, why, well, you know, it's like I should just should have just, you know, been a, you know, worked for the fire department or did something, you know, like listen to people and got a got a city job and you know, and you know, and just like why didn't I do that? Life could have been so much easier. But you just have to power through it and look at the uh, look at the end goal. That's that's what I always do. I always put myself in like the hardest moment. I put myself three months down the line. I just say I know it's going to be worth it down the line. You're going to feel very very accomplished. It's something you you just have to do. You have to be born wanting to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was definitely a, a moment where we were filming. It was two days back to back. I was up for. I was up for almost 48 hours. I actually, I, I slept for two hours. Um, I napped in the location um, and then just woke up and went right into the next day of filming because we were just filming like the climax, right? And I was just so down. Everybody was so miserable. And uh, we were just in a, a really dingy, gross environment. And it was very cold, very dirty, like very dusty. Um, and everybody, everybody, you know, at that point, everybody's covered in blood. It's all effects and everything like that. And I was so down and I just looked at my lead actress who is wearing like the skimpiest Halloween costume and she's covered in blood at this point. And I look at her and she just, she was smiling. She just smiled at me because like I could tell she knew what we were doing was really great. And she was like looking at the finish line and that smile just really, really got me through the day. Like I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that because he was suffering more than anybody else and i've done and her name's uh, lauren lavera by the way and she is just uh exceptional unbelievable i can't wait for people to see her character um but she she was really suffering the most out of everybody because she like i said filming in freezing cold locations and she is just covered head to toe in blood for a majority of you and uh, you know i've worked with a lot of a lot of actors a lot who've had to go through the same thing and they cannot deal with it and they are not cool they think they're going to be cool with it mm -hmm. until it's time to do it and then you see them change like jekyll and hyde wow. really yeah and she's just uh yeah she's been the best so yeah so that's a standout moment but for the most part i'm you know no no real daunting my spirits i'm pretty much pretty optimistic and upbeat on set for the most part that's good <laughs> yeah it's amazing how those little things like the smile from a cast member can uh can help parry you through these moments was yeah. there any i mean obviously having resilient actors like that who when it comes to indie filmmaking know what they're getting into can make or break a movie obviously is there any indication when you were casting that she was resilient and strong and would be able to weather this storm anything other directors should look for when they're casting actors other than their performances because as good as an actor as they might be, if they crumble, you know, at the sight of difficulty, then it'll yeah. fuck your movie up. But it's true, you know, I gotta say honestly, there's really nothing to prepare because I've had people where I'm like, oh, this person's gonna be great, they, but they're so excited, and then it, it just like they fall apart, they fall apart. So I really don't know. But unlike almost every other actor actress I've worked with. She, nobody has ever cared for a character as much as she had, almost to the point where she cared more about the character than I do. And it's my favorite character that I've ever written. Whoa. And she, yeah, and she would just constantly, you know, email me or call me, text me, and just have endless, endless questions about this character, things that I didn't even think about. 
And she'd be writing journals and her own story about the character and what she thinks the character. And seeing that for, you know, the two months of prep leading up, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, this is this is pretty look at looking pretty good. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. That. Yeah. Okay. As a director, that's exactly what you want is somebody that's who's going to like, yeah, take the character in different directions that you even considered. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So that was amazing. Cool. Well, this obviously being Terrifier 2, I'm sure you're thinking what's next for three, four, five, six, whatever the, however the franchise goes. Would you, would you ever consider handing it over to a different director? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Right now I would say no, but if I, because what I have in mind is a, is a solid trilogy. Mm -hmm. So I I really do. I already have like the ending of part three. I pretty much know how I'm going to end the, the trilogy. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of ideas, but there's still a lot of gaps to fill. But, you know, I keep saying that if you keep going, you know, you're just going to start repeating yourself. You're going to run. I mean, we put so much into these kills where I, after part three, I really don't know what the hell else I could do. Like, I'm, I'm going to have trouble in part three coming up with new crazy kills, you know. So, um, you know, I don't want the well to run dry. So I think it's better to get out while you still can. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, but I, you know, I don't know if, if people really still love art and they want more and uh, I come up with something fresh, I might jump back in there or if, uh, I don't know, if a studio at that point, I'm just done. But a studio is like, ah, oh, you know, we'll, we'll take it off your hands and give you a big check. I mean, maybe well, we'll <laughs> Blumhouse wants to reboot it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So obviously there were um, some big expectations to fill from an effects and from a kill standpoint for this. Yeah. Did you, how did you, and I'm not going to ask you to, to give any indication as to what those are, but I'm curious as to what your research or inspiration process were, was for coming up with the new kills for this movie. Did you have the ideas? Did you revisit old horror movies? Did you do any other kind of gruesome research? Like, how did you, what, how did, what was your process like for, for coming up with the new kills? Mm, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm always looking up sort of uh, twisted medieval torture methods and techniques and seeing how you can fucking really devastate a person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, there was, it, it's, it's, it's tricky because you don't want, I, I don't want to fall into like sort territory where it's uh, where it's almost too clever with the way he's killing people. Um, so I like to take things that you've seen many times, just traditional killings, but just do them in a, sort of um, much more intense fashion or just put a little bit of a, a spin on it. Uh, so there's there's two, I mean, there's a lot of kills, but there's two of them that are, if we're lucky, that are on the level of the, uh, the hacksaw scene. Um, one of them we actually started filming. We filmed one day of it, but now we have to go in with like the really heavy duty special effects. So um, even in this in this break, I'm trying to figure out how to uh, add to it and make it even crazier because I, I know that it's going to be really hard to go up against that hacksaw scene. Maybe not even in the execution, just the the idea of it was sort of so cool that the idea is going to be hard to top. I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. And you also like I, I don't want to I don't want to just go so over the top just for just like a like where it becomes schlocky. Right. Or you know, there's so many things you can do to really you know, sicken people where it's, it's kind of easy to do it. There's like a way to sort of walk a fine line where you're not really going so far over the top. And it's almost a little, it's still sort of accessible to mm -hmm. people who are like the most hardcore horror fans. Yeah. It, that makes sense. But 
No, totally. Yeah. There's there's that fine line. If you get into Herschel Gordon Lewis territory, you just check out and you're just like, oh, this is a gore fest. And you somehow the kills are not nearly as effective. Like I, as much as I love the Saw movies after a while, they're just fun. And they're not you don't they're not even remotely visceral because you don't feel the kills anymore. You know, right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying. And again, and especially in this one, we're trying to really take the time to develop the the characters more. Yeah. So, you know, when when a lot of characters that hopefully you grow to love, you know, meet their demise, it's 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 a lot more it's a lot more effective in this one. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm curious to see how that works. Um, if that works the way I intend. Nice. Do we get more of an origin story on art at all? And if you don't want to answer, I understand. Yeah, um, we definitely we definitely explore a little bit of what he's about. There's no doubt about that. I can't go into too much detail. Uh, but there is it's almost hard to talk about the movie because the entire the entire movie is set up on a massive spoiler. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, um, but we do we do int- introduce some really interesting characters in this one. Like I said before, we take it into a really uh, radically different direction. Um, I've said this before, so it's not it's not really a spoiler anymore, but it is. Um, so, you know, at the end of part one, obviously he kills himself and he comes back. Um, I know that upset some people. Some people did not want it to become supernatural. To me, I feel like you, these movies can't exist unless the character eventually becomes supernatural. Right. Because ha- you, you really can't have your, your hero and your villain really go at it and you know him not get killed you know even like it's like what what are you doing it's got to happen at some point so i figured get it out of the way kill him have him be supernatural but now really really explore that that element which a lot of a lot of these movies don't do it they don't really tell you you don't know what supernatural entity is really bringing back freddy or jason it's just like they just come back so i'm I'm really trying to make that a character in the film. As well. Oh, interesting. So you're really yeah. going into the kind of mythology behind the super, whatever supernatural yeah. forces are keeping art, you know? Yeah, correct. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Do you yeah. have some sort of like story Bible where you just, you come up with the entire mythology and house it in one place to keep everybody on the same page? No, no, I don't. But, uh, you know, I have like, uh, I'll have like little notepads and stuff that I'll just write ideas in and things like that. But no, but there is a lot of, mythology in this film so to speak um yeah it's uh took a lot of elements from from yeah from mythology and things like that and religion honestly and all kinds of there's a lot of crazy things going on in this one so i'm very curious to see what people think about it it's not going to be what they expect i think really in a good in a good way yeah very good yeah yeah there's a lot of surprises a lot of surprises but again it's it's just it's it, it is still a total gore fest i mean art the clown is in the almost the entire movie more more so than typically you know just like the first one where he was pretty much the star um he's he's definitely in this one a hell of a lot um yeah i mean it's it's cool man i'm, I'm excited i'm excited i wish i could talk more about it and there's so many things i want to i want to spoil but I gotta <laughs> yeah man, i'm dying to hear it too was it um was how difficult was it approaching this one considering how 
iconic art got so fast. Like after the first one, people were getting tattoos left, right, and center. I mean, was there, and there must've been a lot of pressure on you given how iconic art was and given that so many people were highly anticipating this one. And it sounds like you went above and beyond just giving fans what they wanted, but you wanted to do something different and you wanted to go deeper and you wanted to go unexpected. I mean, what was the process like in figuring out what to do with this one? Yeah, that's true, man. I mean, uh, yeah, because I really, first and foremost, it's like you want to, you want to please the fans. And I do listen, like a lot of people don't listen to any feedback or, or anything like that. They won't read comments. I'll read every single comment, every, every comment, everywhere, every video. Um, they don't, you know, negative comments and critiques, they don't bother me at all because it's either someone trolling or it's someone, they're right. And it's like, you need to, you need to learn from what, what your, the feedback you're getting, you know? So there's a lot of, a uh, lot of like backlash for, and I knew this making the first one, but besides like the limitations of the plot and, and I mean, um, budget and everything that are obvious, I mean, you know, the plot, the lack of plot, I knew that was going to be an issue when I was even writing it, but it was more, it was more just like an experience. And I wanted to just set up Art the Clown and just like throw him in your face and be like, you know, here, how, how do you feel about this villain, yeah. you know? So, yeah, so knowing, so I wanted to go in really developing a much greater story uh, this time and characters that you really became invested in. And it really is, um, it really is about the lead character, Sienna. It's really about her journey in this film and uh, sort of her discovering why Art the Clown is, uh, is targeting her specifically and what role she plays in this whole terrifier universe um so it, it's it's cool so you're sort of unraveling this mystery with her throughout the course of the film which is kind of kind of cool that's awesome so before spielberg does any movie he watches i think it's like four movies he'll watch the searchers i, I always forget this he watches the searchers it's a wonderful life lawrence of arabia and damn it there's one more anyway <laughs> That's how he approaches. And you can kind of can see those movies reflected in. Oh, and uh, Seven Samurai. That's the other one. Do you have any sort of ritual or movies that you rewatch when you're either writing or approaching a movie? I don't have any rituals, but um, it depends. Like, it depends on which stage of filmmaking I'm in. So when I'm when I'm writing, all I do all day long when I'm not writing is watching videos of screenwriters talk about their process like i just have to be surrounded by that that world so when i'm if i'm doing special effects i'm sculpting all i have is videos on in the background of you know dick smith rick baker tom savini just i just need i need people sculpting i need to hear them i need to hear their passion like that gets me fired up so no i mean yeah i don't think again i don't think i have any any rituals like that but i mean like right now i'm i'm just obsessed I always have been, but like I'm obsessed with uh, David Cronenberg right now, so I'm just on like a David Cronenberg kick, uh, just watching all behind the scenes of a uh, history of violence. That's been my my like favorite thing right now. I love that one. I love that he's kind of, and I loved all of his horror stuff. But when you take a horror sensibility and then you start putting it into dramas, they're right. really strong. Like Eastern Promises oh, was great. Like, yeah. Night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen these all before, but yeah, I'm on. That's like I'm I'm in the uh, yeah the later year kick of Cronenberg, and I just started rewatching Dead Ringers because I haven't seen that since I'm like 12, way too young to appreciate it back then. I think so, I was about 12 uh, when I saw that too. I think it was like 12 yeah, or 13. It's it's extraordinary. I mean, that's heavy duty, you know, uh, content <laughs> subject matter for a 12 year old. Yeah, so lot to unpack it. there. 
yeah. He, he's one of the best. He's one of the best. I mean, The Fly is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think that's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, Probably yeah. The horror movie ever made. Modern horror movie. I think it's, so. def- it's definitely in my top ten for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and the Wayless's effects were unbelievable too. I mean, you just you feel that thing. Unbelievable. Now let me ask you this question. <clears throat> What do you do? You think that his effects in The Fly were better than Rob Bottin's makeup in uh, Legend? Because they were nominated the same year. That's a good question. Bottin won it for Legend, right? No, Chris Wallace. Oh, Wallace got it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I I don't know. Legend. I think Bottin is on a completely other otherworldly level than anybody. Not just in terms of ability, but in terms of imagination. Yep. I mean, he. What? You say that makeup, uh, the legend, the darkness makeup will hold up till the end of time. Like yeah. that. I've heard um, Steve Johnson talk about it, and he put it beautifully, just saying that with something like Legend, Botine went out on such a limb, and he it was such a risk with the way that that devil looked, with the big insane oh, features God. and that witch. It so easily could have been uh, like goofy or too much. Oh, yeah. Oh no. But it's his boldness and walking that tightrope, I think, is what makes those effects so so good. Is the fact that they're so risky and they so easily could have been could have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta go with Legend, man. What, what do you think? I, I go with Legend. I mean, not to take anything away, but there's a as a as a makeup artist, I think looking at Legend, it's easier to create something that's very disgusting. You know, and just, you know, I mean, it's just like tumors and this and that and you throw slime and this, but something so beautiful and symmetrical like the, the you know, the devil in, in legend is a lot. It's for me, in my opinion, is a lot harder to construct. So I, I would have to I would have to go with uh, with legend. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not just, to construct it and make it work. Yeah. 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 No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, that brings up an interesting idea. I would has your how has your effects background helped you as a director? I don't think I would, well, I don't want to say that, but I mean like the special effects got me into directing. So it all started with uh, Tom Savini, his uh, VHS screen greats. Oh, yeah. I saw that. So that as a little kid, blew my mind, changed my life. You know, I went to a horror convention when I was 11 or so and bought my first starter makeup kit and uh, some guy was selling real machetes uh, with the you know, semicircle cut out, do like the classic, make it look like it's stuck yeah. in your, in your throat. All that Tom Savini good shit. Went home, started experimenting on my friends and I never, ever looked back. So it started with makeup and then, you know, seeing how his effects are made for the screen. I mean, that's the way the illusion works. So then it would do the natural progression was, you know, let me get my hands on a camera and see if I can make these sort of magic tricks work. So then once you start seeing that and then you get into that world of the magic of filmmaking and editing and you just see how you, you know, put two pieces, cut them together and you, this magical thing happens. I mean, that really blew my mind. So that, that's really, I mean, special effects led into the directing, but then directing, but my love for directing took over for sure. Cause I, I love the whole, the whole picture, creating the whole world, not just the, the makeup in it. Yeah. Yeah, and being able to make your own effects, obviously usually effects are one of the big expenses on a film, but the fact that you can do it yourself, you can deal with your entire effects crew quitting at the last minute and you can still make the film happen. I mean, it's got to give you a a huge leg up. Exactly. And we were able to put, and of course I couldn't put that money that I was going to pay somebody else in my pocket. So I got to do it for free. And then we, but we could put that money in a bunch of other places that we wouldn't have been able to. So that was a huge benefit as well. So there's always an upside. 
But yeah, I mean, I don't think these movies would exist if I wasn't doing the special effects. We just wouldn't have the, we wouldn't have the money. We wouldn't have the, I've spoken again, especially on this one. I got, you know, more, more doors open. I got to speak to bigger people and uh, bigger, you know, makeup artists in the industry. And I, the, the numbers that they threw at me were bigger than our budget for, right. for the film, you know? And then that's, so people have no idea. So yeah, we definitely saved a lot of money. Uh, with me doing the special effects. Yeah, uh, I think that was the case with uh, Guillermo del Toro. When he did Kronos, Dick Smith taught him how to do effects, and then he did all of his own effects on Kronos. Wow. See, I didn't know. I know I know. he started out uh, doing makeup. I didn't know Dick Smith taught him. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Dick Smith was a big mentor in his life. He says if it wasn't for Dick Smith, he would not be making movies, just straight up. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, he's one of he's. If not the greatest, I mean, he's certainly on the, uh, the Mount Rushmore, there's no doubt, man. He's, oh, yeah. I still think that, well, obviously The Exorcist will stand the test of time. Uh, his, I still think his old age makeup on uh, F. Murray Abraham and Amadeus is just the greatest. That was the first makeup to ever completely fool me as a kid. Even though I was, you know, young teenager, you know, smart enough to be able to point out makeup. But when I saw that movie, I, I wasn't sure if that was a real old man playing the older version of right. at first. It's it so good. And, uh, and the bald cap in Taxi Driver to this day is still one of the just most stunning things. Like, then people don't even realize he didn't actually shave his head and give himself the mohawk. I know. I didn't even learn that until recently. He totally. <laughs> I don't know why he wouldn't shave his head, but no, the, the makeup is perfect. And I, I, I was, sorry. I think it was because they shot the movie out of uh, out of sequence. Okay. Uh, he actually wears even when he. Um, he, he has like three different hairstyles in that film. Even when it's like a crew cut, it's shorter. Even that's a, a wig. Um, so, but yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, he came up with, Dick Smith came up with a method of literally just like sprinkling with like an, um, an atomizer for asthma, just sprinkling little bits of actual hair, like little by little onto the bald cap. So it actually had real stubble. Because up oh, until that shit. point, people would just stubble makeup on it and shit. So, I mean, it's just, it's just brilliant. And there's no, you can't see any blending edges whatsoever. No, it's all perfect. It's seamless. I mean, and they've come out with now like 4K images from the set of Taxi Driver. And you can just see like up close shots of the bald cap. And it is just still st- perfect. Stunning. Yeah. yeah, he invented the like the, what we now know as um, prosthetic application techniques. He invented that. Invented. Not a lot of people realize that. People were not doing good edges before he came along. No, no. He invented the breakdown process because everybody would just do like one solid mask and he figured out how to break down the makeup and have cheeks and a forehead and you can overlap and the, you know, you can blend the uh, the prosthetic into itself better than you can like blend it into your, your skin and stuff. So just... Uh, revolutionary yeah, I mean, yeah just- totally. i didn't realize there were two cases where i really realized his genius just with with age makeup not to mention you know everything else was with i saw a photo of him applying a before and after of brando and the godfather i was like holy shit i totally thought he was that old when he did the movie 100 percent. yeah yeah and with uh what's his name max von cito and the exorcist he was like 40 years old in that movie and he looks like he's about 70 had no idea. That's another one. That, that when you listen to a lot of the great makeup artists talk about Dick Smith, that's their favorite thing that he's done is the, the Max von Sydow makeup. So, yeah, it's uh, flawless. I mean, he's just I you know I can't believe how good for back then. Just it still all holds up remarkably, remarkably well today. So, so you getting through this time by mostly editing, editing nonstop. Yeah. yeah. So you're editing Terrifier Two single handedly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Did you do the first one? 
I did the first one. Yeah. Oh wow! How is that editing your own film? Is it something that you're gonna that you like? Rodriguez edits all of his own films. Is this gonna be a? Uh, are you gonna want to edit all your own films? You think? I, I it's always been part of my process, just as a film. I I don't know how to do it any other any other way. Um, I love it. It's actually my favorite part of the the entire process because I don't have there's no clock. You know, I don't have anybody breathing over my shoulder and all this kind of shit. So I just, I just me by myself, I can have my coffee and I could just watch some, and you watch the magic happen. So that, that's my favorite part. So, but it, like when I was a kid and before I even got my hands on editing software, like I had an old JBC camcorder, didn't know how to edit, you know, like you'd find out methods of people editing with two VCRs and doing all this weird shit. I didn't know how to do any of that. So I would in camera edit. So, I did you know, the same thing. Same thing. All right. People have no idea what the hell that is now. I mean, that's just like an hour generation thing. So I still shoot the same way. Like I shoot knowing how I'm going to cut the scene. So there's really no point in me sitting down and telling uh, an editor exactly how I want it to be. It's not like I'm like lost in the woods and I'm hoping an editor can, you know, yeah. help me, you know, get me out of there. You know exactly um, what I, you're doing on set because you know how you're going to edit it. That's got to be a big yeah, layup. Yeah, for the most part, um, you know, it's not always the case. It doesn't always work. And most of the time you figure out a better way or a different way to do it. Um, but it's just, it's all one and the same thing. I, I, you know, we're a different generation of filmmakers where, you know, back in the day, it's like you had, you had to focus on like one skill set. That's all you could really do when you had to go to school to learn. And like, you were, you were great at your being a cinematographer or being a director or editor. It's like, nobody did all those things, but now everything's so accessible. You can't call yourself and you know, why rely on a bunch of people who are going to probably flake out or not care as much as you're going to care. So, you know, if you're really passionate about it and you love doing it, you're going to wind up doing it better than anybody else can do it for you. So yeah, man. do as much, do as much as you can yourself. Yeah. That's yeah. great advice. Yeah. I think I forgot to la- ask you last time. Is there, um, so, I mean, obviously when it comes to filmmaking and directing and writing, there's a lot of books on the topic, many of which are written by people who haven't actually done it. So it's just, it's a lot of just bullshit in that market, but were there any books or resources other than Tom Savini's uh, Scream Greats video that were formidable for you, either from a writing, directing, filmmaking standpoint? Um, it was mostly mostly videos um, for effects. Um, there, there was a three-part VHS tape by um, Rob Berman where it was the – because I couldn't even follow a lot of the things that Savini was writing about in the book. Like it's, it's really hard to figure that out unless you're actually doing it or seeing somebody do it. But the yeah. hearing about materials and well, this, you know, this amount of time and this working time and this and that, and not seeing it happen, very hard to, to do. So th- it was the first time I found a, a video, there were three part VHS and it showed you exactly how to mold, mold someone's face, how to uh, turn it into a, turn it into a positive ultracal cast and sculpting clay, but all the way to running like a foam latex uh, prosthetic and applying it. And that really got me going. That, that really t- advanced my, uh, my special effects skills. Oh, no. you know? And that was, who, there was Tom Berman who did that? I think it was Rob Berman. Yeah. It's a I whole family. Be, yeah. I mean the, the Berman's there. It's a whole, whole family. Yeah. But, um, uh, amazing. So I still use his uh, his method of, of mold making till this till this day. Um, so, but um, you know, it was as far as filmmaking goes. It was just watching 
movies that I loved by all different filmmakers that I loved, and then trying to imitate or replicate what I was seeing them do. So like, you know, with my JVC camcorder, just like trying to do like quick cuts, jump cuts, all kinds of weird, you know, all weird techniques and like cool things that I was seeing. And I still use a bunch of that stuff uh, to this day, really old school, interesting things, but yeah, just experimenting. Yeah. Watching movies and then trying to do it, trying to do what you were saying. That, that was it, really. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So what's next for you after, uh, I mean, other than Terrifier 3, inevitably, what uh, what's next for you film-wise? Yeah, I may want to I may want to let Terrifier breathe a little bit before I go back into part three. And I really, really want to make a, uh, a zombie film. I have. It's my, my dream project is an epic zombie film that would be in the... The Romero world, you know, it would be like somewhere between dawn and day. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dying, dying to make that. Dying nice. Make. And I want, uh, I want Sylvester Stallone to be in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think I got something up my sleeve, you know, that could bring something a little unique to the, to the zombie universe for sure. Um, nice. It's my favorite subgenre, you know, of horror movies. I've always had a soft spot for for zombies. Dawn of the Dead is like my favorite movie of all time. So, yeah. you know, dream. It would be a dream. So I'm gonna try, but that would be a lot of money. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're due for a good zombie movie that like re, re kind of gives everybody a new revised sense of uh, appreciation for the genre because everybody's talking about zombie fatigue now. But the right movie can can totally change that. I agree. I mean, there's clown fatigue. It doesn't matter if you just come out. Um, you got to come out with something good. That's it. Yeah. If it's good, they'll 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 watch it. They'll appreciate it. So, yeah, man. Well, cool, man. Any uh, any parting advice for those aspiring filmmakers out there who are listening? Uh, it's the most cliche thing, but just do it. I say it all the time. That's the hardest thing for people is to just really just get out there. I think there's just a fear of uh, getting off your ass and actually doing the work, but that's it's the only way it's going to get done. It's the only way it's going to get done, man. Just do it. There's no excuse. Uh, like I said, everything is accessible. You can shoot a movie on your phone. You can edit it. Uh, everything's cheap. So just if you really – and I say this, which is like I, a lot of people don't want to hear this, but I feel like for me anyway, like I knew that being a filmmaker – when I, you know, I, I think by the time I was about 16, I knew it was the only thing I wanted to do with my, my life, no matter what. So, and, you know, responsible people in your life, you know, your family and close friends, they'll all tell you like, yeah, that's great, but have a, have a backup plan and, you know, think about getting a real job, you know, especially when things don't start happening for you and, you know, you're, you know, now you're going into your thirties and things like that doesn't matter you have to, to to me it's like the minute you have a safety net you're gonna stop trying like you have to be fucking scared you know it has to be the only thing you're willing to do and nothing's gonna stop you from doing it absolutely nothing you're gonna be you got to be willing to die or end up on the streets because that's what you want to do so i say that to people if, if that's how you feel then you can you can really achieve your your goals i mean but you have to stick with it you absolutely have to stick with it yeah and always be better always be better Always be learning and listen to people, listen to feedback, you know, accept criticism, learn from failure. I always learn from, fa I, you know, I uh, embrace failure. I really, really do. So cool. Wise words, brother. Thank you, dude. Thank you. This was fun, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Good catching up. 
All right. Real fun conversation there. So I actually did an interview with Damien in Dread Central a few years back, after he, right after he made Terrifier. So definitely check that out if you enjoyed this conversation. But I'm going to read some key takeaways from that earlier conversation because they really hit on some great lessons in horror filmmaking. So here we go. Number one, make something that stands out and gets people talking. In a market flooded with unoriginal copycat concepts, your film needs to have something notably different that will get people talking. In the case of Terrifier, this was the strong special effects, handcrafted by Damien himself, and the grisly but inventive violence. Number two, learn a complementary skill. Damien's background as a special effects artist not only opened doors for him in the ways of meeting producers, but enabled him to make Terrifier shine above larger budgeted movies because he did all the effects himself. Number three, deliver the gore, but be classy about it. The gore in Terrifier stood out chiefly among most other recent horror movies, but despite its brutality, Damien still showed some artful restraint through the use of cutaways and editing, even during the film's centerpiece hacksaw scene. To avoid getting into the Herschel Gordon Lewis slash torture porn territory, show the audience what they want to see, but avoid holding on the shot for too long. It's a real fine balance that can make or break the efficacy of your kill scenes. Anyway, guys, thanks as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd mean the world to me if you shared it with your friends and family on social media. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.